How's it going, New Philly? How you feeling today? Man, today, it was like, it's so nice today. It's like the winter has passed and the spring is here. It's like, now I, hopefully I don't have to hear any more Frozen songs because it's getting warmer out, you know? I don't know about y'all, but yeah, yeah. I like Frozen, but yeah. If you're happy to be in the house of the Lord, turn to the person next to you and say, I'm happy to be here. Turn to the person on the other side and say, I'm happy to see you today. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. For me, it's really good to be back up here. I know you saw me on the video screen. You know, as soon as I came up on the video screen, everyone's like, why is, why is he not wearing glasses? He's wearing contacts. Who's he trying to impress? So I was like, you know what? I'm not going to wear glasses this Sunday. I don't know why. I just decided not to. God is good. Amen. He is so good. Today, I want to talk to you on the title, The Wisdom of Giving Up. The Wisdom of giving up. I'll explain what that means. Some of you are looking real confused. I give you the title just so you can write it down. By the end, you will know exactly what I mean. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for every person here. Every person that walked through these doors is a gift. They're precious to you. In fact, Jesus, you call them your treasure possession. Lord, I thank you that each person here is made by your very hand. And Lord, they are of significant worth and value. So, Lord, as they mean so much to you, God, would your words speak and mean a lot to them today? Would you cut through deception, fear? Would you cut through lies? Would you cut through things that keep us from you and from the good, pleasing and perfect, abundant life you have for us? Holy Spirit, would you move in this place? We bind the devil his works, and his effects. And we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You know, growing up, I, I grew up idolizing professional wrestling. How many of us watched professional wrestling growing up? Okay, some of you guys are not proud to say it. I, I grew up loving professional wrestling. I don't know what it was about professional wrestling. Looking back, it's kind of weird. It's a bunch of, like, guys really beefed up, wearing steroids and not wearing much clothing, just uh, grappling together and rolling around. But I really liked it as a kid. <laughs> I, growing up in the South, I mean, that's as much as I loved basketball, as much as I loved football, I really loved professional wrestling. I watched, I had, like, you know, Hulk Hogan. I followed Hulk Hogan. You know, he, he was this guy who bleached his hair blonde, but he was balding. So it was really weird. He had like long hair, but no hair here. So it was like business here and party back here. And then there was like this guy named Macho Man, Randy Savage. He too also was balding here and party all over here. I think it was a professional wrestling thing. And, and then even as I got older, I had this favorite wrestler named Brett Hitman Hart. He was from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. I remember that because I remembered his theme music every time he walked down to go into the ring. And he was my favorite wrestler. His theme was he was the excellence of execution. I don't know what that meant, but as a child, I just loved it. 
And I remember I followed professional wrestling all the way throughout elementary school, middle school, until I got to high school. I remember my freshman year. I remember going and we thought that wrestling was so cool, professional wrestling. We watched it all the time. We'd talk about it in the cafeteria until we saw one guy that we didn't think was cool wearing a T-shirt with the wrestling guy on it. And so as soon as we saw him, we were like, you know what? We're not going to follow wrestling anymore. (laughs) Wrestling is no longer cool. You know, don't judge me. Some of y'all did it. And some of y'all were the one wearing the (laughs) T-shirt. And I remember it immediately became uncool. But the, the thing was that happened as soon as I became a freshman in high school is I discovered that, you know, professional wrestling is fake. It's not real. But our high school had a wrestling team. And for some reason, I thought that I would join the wrestling team and do all the stuff I watched on professional wrestling. So I just walk up and, you know, just constantly like the first day at wrestling practice, I learned that you cannot punch and kick people. You cannot put them in chokeholds. It is illegal in wrestling. But I joined the wrestling team. And as a freshman, I found out you join wrestling team, you, can, you have to wrestle your way up, but you can become varsity as a freshman. In football, basketball, you usually have to wait a few years. And so I became varsity wrestling as a freshman. I had the letter jacket. I was like, shoot, you know. <laughs> you know, I was so like, oh, I loved myself. <laughs> And uh, I remember, I remember I took, and, but as soon as like, you know, I joined varsity, all of a sudden we had to do this training. And I, I kid you not, it was like, okay, I'm a sanguine, so I kind of exaggerate, but those were like the worst days of my life. It was crazy. <laughs> like every day we had practice right after school from three to 6.30, three hours straight, no break. And as soon as we got there, we all had to layer up. We had to wear as many sweats, as many layers as we could possibly wear. He would take us outside, our coach, Coach Lewis. He would make us run in circles and just keep running in circles until, like, we all thought we were about to die. And then he would take us into the field house, which was an old locker room that they converted for wrestling. And so, and the thing about this field house that was important was that they turned the heat up in the field house always to about 95 to 100 degrees every practice. Some of y'all are like, that sounds like abuse. It was. (laughs) And so we were there in the field house sweating and like, and sometimes we needed to lose weight. And some of you are looking, thinking, what weight does he have to lose? We still had to lose weight. And I remember wearing like trash bags, like you'd wear plastic bags and you wear layers and you wear all these different things. And we would wrestle all day. And then we got, we did this for three months, for two months straight. Two months straight, every day, I'm going in there after school, and that's what I'm doing. I'm lifting weights, I'm wrestling, and I'm like, I'm thinking like, you know, I got this. We got this. And we are right two days before our scrimmage, but before our matches started, because uh, after the scrimmages, that's when our season started. We get to practice. We do our practice, and we're like, okay, we get halfway through. And then Coach Lewis, he's this big, buff dude from the south. He's really like thick southern accent, like, come on, guys, we got to head out. And I was like, all right. And Coach Lewis is like, come on, guys, we got to go outside. And so we go outside. We go to the middle of the football field, and we're standing in front of the bleachers. And we're thinking, like, bleachers? Whatever. You know, we got this. We've been training in 100-degree heat, like, every single day. We're fine. 
And so then he, he gets us and he says, guys, line up in your weight classes. Line up according to your weight. And so we line up. We all line up. And we're thinking, okay, well, whatever, you know, wrestling is organized by weight classes. And then he starts putting us in pairs. He's just like, okay, you two, you two, you two, you two, you two, you two, you two. All right. Oh, I'm just going to run next to this guy? Like, we're not holding hands, but we can do this. Let's do this. And so we get there. And he's like, all right, guys, I want you to run the bleachers. So I want you to go up, across, down, across, up, across, down, across. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Carrying your partner. Wait, 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 what? What you mean? Someone was dumb enough to ask a question. Excuse me, Coach Lewis. What do you want, boy? Nothing. And so I had to carry my partner who weighed. He actually weighed more than me. He was a weight class above me. So he weighed about five to ten pounds more than me. And so he jumps on my back. As soon as he jumps on my back, I'm thinking, I'm about to die. And so he has us run up the steps and we start going. And I remember by the fifth step, I'm thinking, I'm not even Christian then, but I'm thinking, Jesus, please return. I don't even know what that means, but please come right now. And I'm like running and I'm running and I get through the whole thing. We all end up finishing. And I remember as we are... (laughs) I remember as we are running, I am thinking, this is the most foolish thing ever. This is the dumbest thing ever. Who would torture high school students by making them carry one another and go up the stairs and down the stairs, up the stairs and down the stairs, up the stairs and down the stairs. I'm doing this thinking, this is the most ridiculous thing ever. This is so stupid. This is so hard. This is so unbelievably foolish. And I finish, and I'm like, this sucks. (laughs) I'm not like, yeah, guys, we finished. No, we all, like, laid on the ground, and we were just like, yeah, Jesus, please come soon. And I remember thinking, this was the most ridiculous thing ever. But then looking back, I realized over the course of the season as we wrestled that that was the most key moment in our season. That... While we thought that it was the most ridiculous thing ever for us to carry someone and have to run up and down and up and down, Coach Lewis realized that if we didn't learn to carry someone else, we would not become strong enough for the fights and matches we would have later on. What am I getting at? See, sometimes in life we're going through things and we don't understand that sometimes in life in order for you to be strong enough to endure what God has for you and the blessings and the glory and the, the purposes that he has for your life, you got to start learning how to carry someone else. you got to start learning how to put someone else on your back and begin to carry them. To begin to think of someone else greater than yourself. See, I tell this story because most of us, even in, in, in wrestling, I, I thought, Coach Lewis, this is the dumbest thing ever. Because all of wrestling practice was all about our own personal development. We would, we would have our one-on-one matches. We would have our one-on-one training. We would do everything as individuals. But the one thing that needed to make us strong enough to be successful as wrestlers required for us to carry someone else. 
the Bible likes to talk about this concept where God wants to make us strong enough, that God wants to make us people that can endure and go through and, and be able to walk in his purposes. It requires for us to carry someone else, to think of someone else, to lift someone else up. The Bible refers to this as laying down our lives. The Bible refers to this as laying down our lives. And sometimes the wisest thing that you can do is lay down your life. In this year of wisdom, we talked about how you can be wise with your time, how you can be wise in all these different ways. You can harness your willpower. You can be punctual. You need to do all these things and be wise with your time. But God was speaking to me in the place of prayer, and he said, Marcus, you know what? The wisest thing that you can do is lay down your life and begin to think about someone other than yourself. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. And I'm going to read from verses 20 to 27. Luke 9, 20 to 27 says, then he, meaning Jesus, said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, saying, answered the Christ of God. And he strictly charged them and commanded them to tell this to no one. Don't tell nobody. Saying, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? I want to look, look at Matthew chapter 16. It's, it's also in that place. This same passage, this same event is, is also written there in Matthew 16, 21 to 26. It says, from that time, you can just listen or if you, if you can turn there. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised And Peter. Here we go. Peter again took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. It ain't gonna happen to you. But he, Jesus, turned to and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. That's a reality check. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Verse 24, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man? If he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul. Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? 
want to talk to you about the wisdom of giving up. The wisdom of laying everything down. Jesus is speaking here to his disciples and they have a revelation of who he is. You are Christ. You are the son of the living God. He says, don't tell nobody. Keep this to yourself for now. We see in Matthew that he begins to tell what must happen, the things that he must go through, the place where he must go in order to ransom us, in order to bring for us salvation, in order to bring God's purposes for your life and mine to fruition. He must go to the cross. The wisest thing that Jesus could do in his life was go to the cross. And then he turns to his disciples and he says, check this out. This is my wisdom. This is what I must go through. This is wisdom for you. If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. He's speaking wisdom right now. If you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Jesus says right here, the wisest thing that we can do is give up everything. The wisest thing that you and I can do. We want to talk about wisdom. This is the year of wisdom. The wisest thing that you can do is give everything to God. This doesn't resonate well in our hearts because you and I, we love control. We want to take control of everything. We want to have everything in proper alignment. We even like control of everything. I want control of this. I want control of this. I want to hold the remote control. You know, at home, whenever we watch movies, I I have to have the remote. Like, I have to have the the remote for the TV, the Apple TV, the, the speakers, like everything. I'm like slowly moving it over. Like in the course of the movie, I'm just... Because I want everything to be optimal level for my hearing. I don't care about you. You can't hear the words. I can hear them perfectly. Or I have it like obscenely loud. And everyone's like, what's wrong with you? It sounds fine. We have to have control. We love to have control. We want to have everything in our life in in perfect control. And we hold on to things. But Jesus says, hey, you want wisdom? You want the abundant life? You want the life that I have for you, a life of glory, a life where I'm going to pour out my blessing? You want to live your life fully? Wisdom, biblically, just means a life that's lived well. Lose your life. Give it up. Lay it down. You want to see me move in your workplace? You want to see me move in your family? Give it to me. You want to see me move? In your relational life, you want to see me move in your finances? Give it to me. Let go of control. You want to see me bring breakthrough in that area where you've been depressed? Give me your depression. So many of us, we're holding on to our depression. We want to keep control over how sick and how in despair we feel. God says, let go. Give it up. You want to get free of that sexual addiction? Give it to me. You want to truly live that life that you've been dreaming about? Give it to me. You feeling hopeless and you feel like you're never going to have a door open for you? Give it to me. 
See, the wisest thing you can do, give it. Lay down your life. But how? What, what does laying down our life look like biblically? I'm, I'll give you three aspects of giving it all up. Three things that we see here in this passage about what Jesus says giving up looks like. Let's look in verse 23, Luke 9, verse 23. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. The first thing that giving up, giving it all up looks like is number one, deny yourself. Deny yourself. This is something we have so much trouble doing, right? He's saying you want to you want to have an abundant life. You want to you want wisdom. Stop thinking about yourself so much. Philippians 2, 3 to 4 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Our generation, we have so much trouble thinking of someone other than ourselves because we like to place ourselves in the center of the universe. We spend most of our time adjusting and adjusting our image what clothes am I going to wear? How am I going to look? What's my Facebook page look like? What's my profile picture? What, what am I posting on there? What's my, what am I tweeting? What am I Instagramming? <laughs> and then not only that, but we spend all our time constantly thinking about ourselves, thinking about ourselves, thinking about ourselves. I read this post talking about the 21 ways you know that you are an introvert. And then I looked up the word introvert. You know what the word, and because when I read it, I'm like, I'm an extrovert. I'm an extrovert for sure. I love to be around people. And then I looked at it, I was like, I'm an introvert. And then I talked to like 50 other people around me and everyone's like, we're all introverts and we didn't know it. It's like, wait, something's off here. We all can't be introverts. And then I looked up the word introversion and it just means a person, the original meaning of the word introvert means self-centered. The original meaning of the word introversion means a person who is curved in on themselves. Augustine said that pride is the self curved in upon the self. Sin is the self that's constantly thinking only about the self. You want to experience a breakthrough. You want to experience wisdom in your life. God says, stop thinking about yourself so much and start thinking about someone else. First step, deny yourself. Now, there's another definition of introvert. For some people, they're going to be like all offended. Like, what are you trying to say? Okay, maybe you don't want to be around people all the time. That's, you know, that's okay. But the initial sin, this, what sin causes, what it is, is it is the self constantly thinking about the self. Who's number one? Not God, you. But Jesus says, hey, you want some wisdom? You want your life? You want your life back? Deny yourself. The second thing he says is take up your cross. The second thing you have to do is you have to take up your cross. But here's the thing. We can make taking up our cross a self-centered thing as well. We can make taking up our cross, especially in, in, Christ, in many churches in the evangelical movement, we make taking up our cross all about us. But when Jesus took up the cross, he wasn't doing it for himself. When Jesus took up the cross, he was not carrying his sin. He was carrying ours. When Jesus carried the cross, what Jesus was doing was he was taking responsibility for our lives. 
See, a person who denies themselves but doesn't learn how to take responsibility for someone else is a person who gets depressed very quickly. Because once they stop thinking about themselves, then they don't know what to think about. And then they're just emptying themselves. And it's some ridiculous Buddhist theology that's constantly emptying themselves but never thinking about anyone else. But see, Jesus, he didn't just deny himself. He took up the cross. He took responsibility for someone else. See, you can't just deny yourself. You've got to start changing your mindset to start thinking about someone else's needs. When's the last time you took responsibility for someone else? When's the last time someone else made a mistake and you said, you know what? I got this. It's my fault. Most of the time we're like, you did it. We're constantly thinking about ourselves, and because we're constantly thinking about ourselves, we're not thinking about anyone else. But if you lay it all down, you not only have to stop thinking about yourself so much, you got to start thinking about other people. You know, in my life, I've found that I am the most happy. I am the most fruitful. I experience God the greatest when I am not thinking about Marcus Corpenin, when I'm thinking about someone else. Even in the place of prayer, I find that I am the closest with God when I am not praying about the things that I care about. God actually says, don't pray about your food, where you will live, what you will wear. He says, don't even talk about that stuff. Why? Because if you'll seek first my kingdom, all these other things will be added. Take up your cross. And then the last thing he says is follow me. This is talking about immediate obedience to the voice of God. It's that time where you sense that God is speaking to you or you sense that inside of you something is pulling you a certain direction, but you and you actually obey it immediately. This is this reminds us of where Jesus actually called the first disciples. There are these fishermen. They didn't have the best jobs. OK, I don't know where you're working at right now, but your job does not compare to theirs socially in the hierarchy. OK, and they're out there. You know, they I don't even know if they have fishing rods. They probably had nets and spears and stuff. I don't know if they had spears. I just threw that out there. They had nets for sure. And so they had nets. And Jesus walks out there and he doesn't he doesn't say, what's up, guys? Hey, I know you. You're the son of Zebedee. Hey, I remember you. You did all this stuff. No, he just walks up, and says, hey, come follow me. They drop everything. And they go. You want to experience God's wisdom, God's purpose in your life in a great way. You got to you know what you got to do. You got to be willing to just say, you know what, God, I'm going to let it all go. And I'm going to go wherever you'll take me. I remember when I first came to Korea. Well, the second time I came, not the first time. First time was because I was in foolishness. I was. Dating a Korean-American girl, and I thought she was like Neo. I thought she was the one. And I was like, I will, I will follow you wherever you go. And God's like looking at me like, this boy, I'm going to turn this around for his good. But the second time, I remember I had gotten offered a job to work in, in North Carolina for a few years and then go to Manhattan. And then I remember I sat there and I prayed about it, and God was like, Marcus, I'm going to bless you either way that you go. Your choice. And I'm like, my choice. And then as I prayed about it, I felt like, God, you know what? What requires more faith? 
And I was like, I know if I go to Korea, if I leave everything, if I leave all my family, all my friends, if I leave it all and come to Korea, God, you're going to do things beyond my wildest dreams. But, Lord, it sounds like complete and utter foolishness. I'll do it. (laughs) It required leaving it to follow him. You got to deny yourself. You got to take responsibility for someone else. And you got to follow him. See, you've got to have that kind of sensitivity to his voice if you want to walk in wisdom. If you want to walk in his strength and love, you've got to have that kind of heart. To take up the cross. But for us, that sounds like foolishness, doesn't it? For so many of us, even as we're hearing it right now, we're thinking, I don't know what this man's talking about. I can't leave everything. Don't you know what I got going on right now? You know what's happening in my family? You know what my bank account looks like? I got ship one. That's what I got right now. I got big one. It's a hundred one. I can't even buy a Kit Kat right now. Do you know what's going on in my life? Some of us, we hear a message like this. We hear this and immediately we're thinking the wisdom of giving up. That sounds like foolishness. I got a take up a cross and follow him. I got to deny myself. You don't know what I'm going through. That sounds like foolishness. And you know what God says? It's supposed to sound like foolishness. Turn to first Corinthians chapter one. I'm going to read verses 18 to 25. See, we don't like this word. Everything in us, when we hear a word like this, it resists. It says, well, yeah, that's good. That's a good Sunday message, Pastor Marcus, but it doesn't really apply to my life. Everything in us resists. We come up with arguments and reasons in our mind as to why this doesn't apply to me right now. And really what we're saying is this is foolishness, God. This does not work. First Corinthians 1, 18 to 25. If you don't have a Bible, lean next to someone next to you and look. Don't get too close. First Corinthians 1, 18 to 25. For the word... Of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, The world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the foolishness of what Pastor Marcus is preaching right now to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs. Show it to me and then I'll believe. And Greeks seek wisdom. Ah, It needs to sound better than that. Your argument's not that sound. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block, an obstacle to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, the power of God, Christ, the power of God and the what wisdom of God for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Give your family to me. What? Give give my family? Do you stop trying to control my family so much, God? Now, that sounds like foolishness. Do you know what will happen if I let go? 
Give your job. Give your calling. Give your destiny to me. God, do you know what will happen if I let go? Now, that's foolishness. Now, that's weakness. Hey, that person that offended you, forgive them. Let it go. No, but what, what's going to happen? Who's going to take care? Who's going to take care of what happened to me? That sounds like foolishness. That sounds like weakness. And God's like, it's supposed to. Because my foolishness is wiser than man's wisdom. My weakness is so much stronger than man's strength. This message of the cross is pure wisdom. It could give you wisdom about how to create a spreadsheet to manage your time. No, that's really wise. But the cross, it's greatest wisdom in human history. Laying down your life, giving up your all to God is the wisest thing you can do. And we, but you know what prevents us from doing it? Fear. Fear keeps us from doing it. Fear keeps us from laying down our life before God. Fear keeps us from acknowledging his wisdom and living for him. I'm going to go over two quick fears. You know, in Proverbs 1, 7, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That means the reverence, the worship of God. But you know that if you fear anything else other than God, it's the beginning. It's the opposite. It's the beginning of stupidity. The fear of anything else, you will start doing stupid things. You'll no longer walk in wisdom. You'll start doing a lot of stupid things. I want to talk about two fears. I want you to turn to Luke 22. So after Jesus speaks this word to them and he talks about how he's going to he's going to follow the wisdom of God and he's going to walk through the wisdom of God and he's going to go to the cross no matter how much it costs. He's going to he's going to deny himself, take up the cross and follow God. And then he speaks that same word to them. He, he continues his ministry. And now we are at we are towards the end. And I'm going to look at, show you two fears, two fears. And what I want you to recognize is that the two fears that sent Jesus to the cross are the two fears that keep us from taking up ours. The two fears that sent Jesus to the cross are the two fears that keep us from walking in God's wisdom. Let's look at Luke 22. I want, we're going to read verses 1, and, 1 to 2 first. So this is after all these different events have taken place. We're right before the Last Supper, right before Jesus is to be betrayed. And it says, now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him, Jesus, to death, for they feared the people. The first fear that keeps us from walking in the wisdom of God is the fear of man. See, these chief priests and scribes, they could not recognize that Christ was the wisdom of God, the power of God. Why? Because they were so afraid of the people. And what you need to recognize is that fear of man, fear of what people will think, fear of what other people will say when God says lay it down. That keeps us so, so often from obeying God, doesn't it? Well, what will people say? What will my mama think? What will my boss say? You know, these chief priests, they were so afraid. of They weren't afraid of Jesus. They were afraid of what the, the people would say. And the fear of the people caused them to plot to put Jesus to death in their life. 
And what you need to recognize is that the fear of man will cause you to put the voice of Jesus to death in your life. Jesus may be telling you, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Ah, what would they say? Shut up, Jesus. Oh, that's foolishness, God. I want you to lay that down. I want you to stop talking to that person. I want you to step away from this. I want you to take this step. Well, what will people say? What will they think? And all of a sudden, we start shutting out the voice of Jesus and start going after what we consider wisdom, man's wisdom. You know, for these chief priests and scribes, it was the wisest thing in their mind to kill Jesus. They thought we have to kill him because if we don't, we're going to lose our jobs. You ever thought that God tells you, hey, I want you to do this. God, I might lose my job. I want you to do this. I might lose my reputation. People are going to look at me differently. If they know I'm a Christian, if they know I follow the voice of God. And that fear of man will cause us to turn away and shut out the voice of God. The second fear, let's look at verses three to six. And this one is a it's an interesting one. Verse three, then Satan. So that happens. And then they change scenes. Luke does. Then Satan entered Judas called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him, Jesus, to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. You know, Judas, Judas gets a really bad rap. But how many of us know Judas? Judas was the treasurer. You know, Judas held the money. I was thinking about this when I was meditating on this passage. Judas was Jesus's treasurer. It says in other passages that Judas, who held the money, especially when the woman with the alabaster jar was rubbing his feet in her hair in his feet with her hair. And he's like, this is so expensive. It says Judas, the treasurer was like, why don't we give it to the poor? He was the treasurer. He held Jesus's money. Think about that. He had God's money. He had God's credit card. He had God's check card. He had he decided he had authority over where the money went. He was walking around Mr. Moneybags, God's money. Like, why would you trust Judas with the money, first of all? But secondly, he had all the money. And what does he betray Jesus for? Money. Now, the only way that someone who has all the money would betray the son of God for money is if Satan had convinced him that the money he had was not enough. If Satan had convinced him that when Jesus dies, you're not going to be taken care of. So you need to do what you need to do now to get yourself some money. The second fear that keeps us from obeying the wisdom of God is the fear of the unknown. The fear of lack. The fear that if I follow God, if I do what he's calling me to do, it's not going to turn out well for me. And oftentimes when we walk in this fear, it causes us to betray Jesus. It causes us to look for opportunities to betray Jesus in your life. You know that God has told you to not look at that. You know God has told you not to do that. You know God has told you to step away from that. But because you fear that he won't take care of you, you instead say, you know what, God, that's not actually wisdom. That's foolishness. And we turn to it. 
And that fear causes us to become fear causes you to be very, very self-centered. The fear of man. What will people do to me? The fear of lack. What is going to happen to me? And these things cause us to not walk in this wisdom. But I'm going to give you one key to make it all because I know I'm talking about these fears and I know for many of us, we struggle with these fears. Fear of man. Fear of lack, the fear that if we follow God, he's not going to take care of us. But there's actually one key that helps that will cause you to begin to walk in God's wisdom. And it's gratitude. It's Thanksgiving. I watched this YouTube video called The Science of Happiness. It was really interesting. And they did this study and they found that the, one, the number one key to being happy is gratitude. It's not how much money you make. It's not how, much, how, how great your circumstances seem to be. It's actually the level in which you are thankful for where you are at now determines how happy you are right now. And gratitude is so powerful because it doesn't focus on yourself. You know, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but it's really weird to say thank you to yourself. It's almost impossible to say thank you to yourself. Thank you, Marcus. You did such a like, doesn't that sound weird? Thanksgiving is entirely an external activity. And that's what makes it so powerful. You can only say thank you for something you're given. And in order for you to be given something, it requires someone else to do the giving. I want you to turn to John 17. We're going to we're going to we're going to look at this and I'm going to talk about gratitude very briefly and then I'm going to end it. This is at right before the end of Jesus's life and it's the last prayer that he prays. Right before he's about to deny himself, take up the cross and follow the Father and walk in the fullness of the wisdom God has. He prays this prayer, John 17. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all to whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words you have gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and that they have believed that you've sent me. We'll stop right there. Jesus, the last prayer Jesus prays is all in recognition of what he's been given. And the thing is, is that when you start to stop and recognize all that you have been given, it puts you in a position where you stop focusing on yourself and you start to focus on God and the people around you. 
you know, Jesus could take up the cross and carry us, carry our sins because he recognized that we were a gift to him from the father. Jesus had gratitude in his heart. Even on his way to the cross. Jesus was able to walk in the wisdom of God because he had in his heart thanksgiving. He recognized that every person, every single one of us, we're a gift. And he was willing to pay whatever price necessary for us. You know, Romans 12, 2 says that we, in view of God's mercy, are to offer our lives as living sacrifices. That we, once we begin to recognize all that God has done for us, once we remember how God has blessed us, we then respond by giving our all to God. And the funny thing is, is that once you do that, the Bible says you can test and approve his good, pleasing and perfect will for your life. Once you do that, you're able to recognize his wisdom, but it doesn't happen before then. Because as long as we are constantly thinking about ourselves, we we're not able to see God's will. We're only able to see fear and what might happen and what bad things may happen. But I want to tell you today that God has plans for you. He has plans to prosper, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope in a future. Stop and think about all that God has done in your life. And some of you, you think God hasn't done anything for me. You are here. You are breathing. He has given you that grace. You have a place to live. You have food on the table. You have clothes on your back. That's so much more than a lot of people in the world can say. The funny thing is, is that in the countries that are the richest, we are the most unsatisfied. The countries that are the wealthiest, the people who have it all tend to be the most self-centered. We're like Judas with the money bags. But when you recognize all that God's given you and in response, you lay it down to him. You know what happens? You become free. You know, the things in my life that I hold on to when I give it to God. I'm free. And I'm free. I'm free of discouragement. I'm free of fear. I'm free of condemnation. And I'm free of shame. And when you're free of fear, you're free of shame. Clarity comes so quickly. Those are the moments when you know exactly what to do. So in this year of wisdom. You're wondering what the Lord is telling you to do. Those areas where you're saying, God, I need wisdom. God, I don't know what to do. He's saying, hey, stop thinking about it so much. Think of someone else right now. Start to serve someone else. Start to become a part of a community where you can love on someone else and be built up by someone else. And then you can walk in that kind of relationship where you are focusing not on yourself so much, but on someone else. And you'll find that you have much more wisdom than you could ever imagine. Let's pray.